This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and this is the 40th Thrive Podcast uh, that we have done since the start of 2018. We greatly appreciate everyone who has taken the time to either view on YouTube or listen on iTunes. We have expanded the Thrive Podcast just to let you know. Uh, It's not just one drop a week now, it's five drops a week. Still, the interviews drop on Monday, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we mix in uh, excerpts and highlights from our worship experience and our Bible studies, and we would encourage you uh, to listen to that as well on iTunes. That's not on YouTube, just on iTunes. But... uh, Please tell others that the Thrive Podcast has expanded from one drop a week to five drops a week. And again, we thank you for your patronage. We thank you for your listening and for your viewing. Every now and then, drop us a line. Let us know what you think about what we're talking about and how we're doing. Fred Jeff Smith at Cox.net. That gets directly to me. Fred Jeff Smith at cox.net. I'm very happy today to welcome as our guest, Mr. Tim Wilkinson. Uh, Mr. Wilkinson has a very interesting story to tell. I was reading his bio this morning, and uh, I find it very interesting, enlightening, and encouraging, and inspiring. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come and share with us today, Mr. Wilkinson. Thank you for having me, Fred. I, I definitely appreciate the opportunity to be here and the invite from you and Terrence. Uh, it's my pleasure. Tell us your story. Rather than me read your bio, tell us your story, please. Well, my, my story is, is ever-evolving, but I, I, was, I was born here in Baton Rouge um, to, a, to a single mother. Uh, and when I was about three years old, my mother uh, married my stepfather, who in turn moved us to Glen Oaks. Uh, I was essentially raised in Glen Oaks. I went to Glen Oaks High, graduated from Glen Oaks High. Uh, after I graduated from Glen Oaks High, I enrolled at Southern University, uh, and I went to school there for a short period um, before ultimately um, I was involved in crime, and uh, I was arrested, charged, and convicted uh, for armed robbery. My conviction actually ended with first-degree robbery, but uh, I had 21 counts of uh, first-degree robbery uh, when I was 20 years old. How was that adjustment to your life? I don't believe there's... I don't believe there's a word or words that can adequately describe it. It's, 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 it's literally... Um, a culture shock, you know. Um, you know, when I when I was arrested, um, the first thing I did when, when I got to jail was I called my mom and I said, "When are you coming to get me?" And uh, she said, "I'm not." And, and I think that was my first breaking moment. Mm-hmm. That was the that was the cracking of my infrastructure, if you will, because my mother told me that she wasn't coming to get me. Um, and it was just, it was, it, it, it really grew me because at that time, you know, I wasn't raised in the streets. I wasn't raised to, to make the decisions that I made. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I expected better of her. You know, I expected her to be mom, you know, and, you know, mom said, well, no, I can't be mom this time. I, you know, I can be mom, but I can't be the mom that you want me to be. I can't come and get you. you got to so back on. up just a second. 
help help me and help those who are listening and viewing to understand. You said you were not raised in the streets. You were not raised to to live a certain kind of life. How did you fall into the life that you fell into that caused you to be arrested? Um, circumstance or circumstances. Um, wrong set of friends. Literally, you know, we hear this. Mm -hmm. We hear that, you know, it only takes one time to make a bad decision or we hear that, you know, watch the friends that you associate with because, but that is the truth. (laughs) That is the truth. Um, um, This, the entire situation that I I went through uh, was based on uh, one, uh, it started with me leaving my mother's house. Okay. It started with me saying, I want to be a grown man because mm-hmm. I'm of age and mm-hmm. I don't want to listen to you no more. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to come in when I want to come in. If I go out and stay out, you say be home by one and I come in at three, well, that's a problem. So I want to go where I can make my own rules. Okay. Um, and it put me in a financial strain. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, uh, I had a friend from the neighborhood. Uh, I say a friend, but uh, an acquaintance that I knew, who was also going through a tough time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he had this idea that, hey, we can go and and rob this place, and it'll be easy, and we can get a few dollars, and that'll straighten this out. You know, and it went just like that. It it, it was smooth. It was easy. It was no problem. No weapons. Just walked in, handed him a note, get the money, walk out. Uh, the problem is it became an addiction mm-hmm. because it was quick money. It was, you know, I, I want this and I need this now and I know that I can get it this way mm-hmm. and, and I don't have to tell mom I need to come back home. <laughs> you know, I don't even have to work, you know. So it led to, uh, to it was an addiction. It was an addiction, um, the fast, quick money. And, you know, it, it just it took a turn for the worse. You know, I think. One of the things, and I wish I had the article with me. I didn't think to bring it. When they put me in the paper uh, in the Baton Rouge Advocate, it was May 14th of 1999. And they described me as a gentleman armed robber. Um, when I look back on that today, it, it's a clear indication for me to mm-hmm. read that and say, well, you know, even then, who I am today was present within me, mm-hmm. but I just, I, I utilized it in the wrong manner. So you politely ask people right. for their money. you know, please, just give me your money. <laughs> just give me your money. <laughs> Don't make this go south. You know. Wow. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Did you have any other habits that you were uh, feeding? Was this to The only habit? other habit I had, I gambled. Okay. Um, uh, not substantial, but I did, you know. Um... That are we talking craps? Are we talking casino? Are yeah, we, casino. Casino, okay. Yeah, yeah, casino. Okay. Um, that's it. You know, and a lot of folks, because, you know, when you when you hear about somebody who robs 21, allegedly robs 21 businesses, right. places like, you know, the pizza shop and the ice cream shop, right. you think drugs. Uh, I've never done drugs a day in my life, ever, even in prison. I've never done drugs because I've just never had the desire, and I thank God yes, for sir. that. 
Um, but that's never been a problem for me. Yes. Sir. But people in the community that knew me thought, well, was he on drugs? What? Right. You know, what happened? No, it wasn't that. It was greed. It was selfishness. It was, I don't want to work. I want to get this money, this easy money, you know? That's an interesting confession. Why? No drugs. Uh, Ever. Just greed. Just greed. Was it... <laughs> Did you have a girlfriend that you were trying to... Well, I had, yeah, I had a couple of them. Trying to keep them no, happy? No, no, no. Well, no. It, it, I guess we're always, in a sense, especially when we're young, mm-hmm. trying to keep them happy. But it wasn't so costly that, you know, I felt compelled to go out and rob to keep them happy. Mm-hmm. No, it was day-to-day... You know, expenditures. Um, and, you know, it, it, one, of, one of the things that happened here was, so I moved away from my mom's house. She came to my new place. I was living with some friends. She was like, pack your stuff, come home. I was like, nope, not coming home. You know, I want to party all night. She was like, please come home. I'm like, no, I'm not coming home. Okay. So the my friend's apartment dissolved um, because a couple of them ended up moving and so forth and so on. So at the time, there was this place called All Around Suites downtown on River Road, um, where I could rent a. a I remember room. that place. Yes. You remember that? Yeah. Okay. 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 I could rent the, the the suite for a week at a time. Right. I don't remember what the cost was then, but until I could get my own place, I was, you know, renting by the week. Yeah. Um, and it was different for me because I'd never lived like that. Keep right. that in mind. Right. I lived in a in a stable, fully functional, healthy household my entire life. Right. You know? So it's like this is different, you know, but I gotta make sure, you know, I don't I gotta have these people money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, believe it or not, these robberies that I did, they were all petty robberies. You know, there was a sandwich shop, ice cream shop, auto parts store, you know. So what was the threat? If you're walking in and there's no weapon, what 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 is it that compelled the owner to hand the money over because to you. Because they never knew that there was not a weapon. Okay. They never knew that there wasn't a weapon. You know, when I walk in and I tell you that I have a weapon, in most cases, even today, that's sufficient enough. Mm-hmm. If you're getting into your vehicle after leaving church one night and I walk up to you and say, give me everything you got, I'm going to pull a bullet in your head, yeah. you probably will give me everything you got. Without a hesitation. You know, just the idea, you know, it's sad but true. So, you 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 you're arrested and mm-hmm. you're charged and you're in jail and you call your mother and your mother says I'm not coming to get you mm-hmm. what happens next um i think that subconsciously i begin to fixate on okay i'm going to be here so i need to i need to get adjusted to that mm-hmm. um and that was a hard adjustment it was a hard adjustment because I'm not a thug. I'm not a street guy. I'm not, right. You know, this is not really your world. Right. You yeah. know, so I'm 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 in a I'm in a in a, in a I'm in parish prison and because I'm charged back then I don't know how they do it now, but back then parish prison would place you according to your crime that you were alleged to have committed. And so you know, armed robbery is, you know, high on the list of, you know, a threat. Right. So they put me around these people who are accused of murder and rape and uh, aggravated assault and other right. And, you know, we don't speak the same language, right. you know, and that's a problem. Um, 
and, 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 you know, because we don't speak the same language, they think, well, we can do this to him. We can do that to him. And, you know, uh, homie, don't play that. You yeah. Know? And, and, you know, and so at some point I had to realize that, you know, I'm in a different environment. And to some degree, I have to act like the people that are around me. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm going to be taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, a, it was an adjustment. It was hard. Mm-hmm. It was hard because, keep in mind, I'm 20 years old. Right. And, and you know, I've never experienced this. Now, I had previously, let me back up for a minute, I had previously been arrested for theft from a job that I was at. But I was in jail for an hour or so and went home. Um, so when this happened, I was already on probation for okay. that. Okay. Okay. Um, and it was just, it was different. It was hard. It was, you know, uncomfortable. Um, it was a challenge. It was a challenge because, you know, I had to change my thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas I was green to things or where I was not um, thinking like them, I had to start. I had to start. A public defender? No. Your your mother secured legal. Yes, my mother and my and my father secured Etzel Cunningham. I knew and French side to represent okay. me. Okay. Um, spent a lot of money, you know. Yes. And and you know even today you know and some people won't agree with this but so we were in court one time and Etzel Cunningham said you know they're offering fifty you need to take it and I said fifty. <laughs> Where's he at? You know, and my mom's like, take it, take it, take it. Mm-hmm. You know, now mom knew best then. I'm, I'm, let me be clear, you know, um, but I'm a gambling man now. Keep right. that, keep that, keep that in mind. Right. And, and mom, you know, I have to listen to you because you're mom. But I don't. I, my, this is my decision. And you know, I told Ethel Cunningham, I said, you know, I, I'm not taking 50 years. I, you know, I can't I can't do that because 50 years meant that I had to spend over 45 in prison. Yeah. You know, oh well, I'm sorry, 43 in prison. And you know, I just I couldn't I couldn't do that. You know, I couldn't commit I couldn't willingly say this is what I'll do. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I didn't have a public defender. Thank God. And, you know, when we, and we can talk about public defenders sure. now a little bit later. But um, you know, I, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't have came out the same way mm-hmm. with a public. So what was the outcome of, of, of your trial? Um, I did not go to trial. I ended up pleading to 25 years. Um, I pleaded 25 years on one bill of information. I had three bills of information. What that is, and for those folks who may not know, um, in the state of Louisiana, you are billed according to charges. And they're, uh, typically speaking, um, what happens is, in my case, if you if you if you're alleged to have committed 21 different acts of something, they'll split them up to different bills depending on when they occurred, what was the time frame in between each one. So in my case, I ended up with three bills of information, a total of 21 counts on robbery, um, but I pled to 25 years Department of Corrections with uh, one bill of information. How does that affect me? Well, instead of having uh, each bill of information, if I pled to one count here, one count here, and one count here, that would have made me um, a three-time loser, if you will, okay? But right. instead, I pled to three counts on one bill of information, and so that I don't have separate convictions. Okay. Uh, and so I pled 25 years. you spent how much of that time actually in prison? 
I spent 16 years, three months, four days in prison. Um, when After I was sentenced, they sent me to prison, of course. And all of that time was either spent in prison. Uh, the latter part of my sentence, I did go to work release. Okay. The last two years and some change. So for those of us who have only heard about what it's like to live in prison, have never spent time in prison. I've, it's funny, I was I was teaching Bible study just the other night, and uh, I was talking about the fact that uh, people who've never been to prison don't have any idea what it's like to actually live in prison. I've gone to Angola several times on uh, ministerial uh, uh, opportunities. Uh, we've held worship services there. I've gone there to counsel with members and what have you. And I can't wait to get out. And I'm only there for an hour, hour and a half. Uh, I cannot imagine what it's like to be there knowing that there's no immediate release coming. Yeah, that's, um, it's hard, you know, it's hard because you know, so you have a culture shock going from freedom to parish prison to jail, okay? And then there's another culture shock going from jail to prison, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it, for lack of a better phrase, and I, I don't even like this term, but I'm going to use it just so, so people can relate. It's like going from good to bad to worse, mm -hmm. you know, to the person who's actually going through it at that time. It's like, Man, so I'm here with these people now, and these people definitely did what they say they did. And, you know, I don't live like this. And, right. You know, so what am I going to do? You know, and, right. and it, it, it really is. It's a culture shock. Um, but it's, it's livable. It's manageable, you know, but it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes time. Um, and, 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 and so when you say, what is it like living in prison? You know, it's like being in prison, you know, I, you know and, and for me, right? Because yeah. the person who's experienced it, for, the, yeah. for those folks who haven't, you know, it's essentially like, you know, um, it's like walking into a football field by yourself and you can't get out. Okay. It's expansive. You got all this space, mm -hmm. you know, but you can't leave. Yeah. You know, you don't have your cell phones and you, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's 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 hard and it emotionally and mentally people and people say this in prison and out of prison I've heard it but you know prison can break you physically mentally and emotionally mm -hmm. you know the physical part well that's just that's that's physical but the mental and emotional that's those are the those are the issues those are the things that you have to keep intact because if you don't keep intact you will lose your mind and I, and I'm not telling you what somebody told me or what I heard I'm telling you what certainly. I've seen certainly so, in the time that you're in prison, how did you not just cope, how did you make the transformation, the shift, so that you are now the person that you are today? Um, when I went to prison, I didn't make a shift initially. Uh, my shift was, when in Rome, act like the Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got into a bunch of trouble, you know. Um, um, I'm gonna say some things here that even even my parents don't know, you know, because we're years later, but we don't talk about it now. But mm -hmm. you know, man, I was uh, there, there. There's there's a, there's a code of conduct in prison, mm -hmm. 
You know, mm -hmm. there's some things you do and some things you don't do, and some things you definitely bet not do. You mm -hmm. know, um, and I can remember when me first getting to prison, uh, we go out to the field to work, and uh, you know, they 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 call you out to the field by your DLC number. Okay, um, so. If you've been in prison a long time, you're at the front of the line. If you just get into prison, you're at the back of the line. Because your my number is higher than his number because he's mm -hmm. been here 10 years already. Mm -hmm. And so we go out in the fields and we work all day and then we come in. But we come in the same way you go out, okay? Uh, because you're, once, you, once you come out the gate, you never leave that position. Um, and I remember a guy, I don't remember his name, but... Um, I came in from the field one day and it was, it was a Friday. Uh, no, it was a Wednesday, and, and and me and him it came out the field together. Well, he was ahead of me, but by the time I got to my dormitory, he had already made it into the dormitory and he was sitting on my bed. Um, was essentially, are you married? For? Yeah. Okay. It's essentially like you going out and cutting the grass, and and and. You know, cleaning out the dish, the trenches in your front yard, and maybe cutting some limbs, and you're all sweaty and dirty, and you come home and you sit on your bed. Your wife will look at you like, excuse me? Yeah. You know, something wrong. <laughs> you need to take that elsewhere. So I walked in. This guy sitting on my bed. We all just come out the field. We're sweaty. We're, we're dirty. We, we stink. You know, hey, man, don't sit on my bed. You know, don't, you know, we just came out the field. He had something to say. He went on about his business. I was on Wednesday. On Friday, he did the same thing. And on Saturday morning, about four thirty-five o'clock, I woke him up with a mop ringer. Um, that's uncharacteristic of me. Uh -huh. But I understood that me telling him not to, you know, to 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 do this is not working. Right. And in this environment, what works is is violence. That's right. the truth. You know, at that time. Right. Because when I went to prison, prison was bad for Louisiana. Mm -hmm. It's not nearly like it is now. It's still bad, but it's it's a different kind of bad these mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. Um and so initially I, I you know I I was I indulged in gambling there and you know uh I didn't mind fighting because I was young and felt like I had a point to prove. Right. Um so it took me it took me about seven years to really really settle down, to really say, okay, we need to straighten this out, okay. Um, but by that time, I had already, you know, uh, proven myself, mm -hmm. right. So I was at a place where ain't nobody messing with me no more. Mm -hmm. So now I can I can I can deal with this like it needs to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. uh, and it didn't come to me as I just said it to you. It was just it just happened. You know, I didn't have to worry about nobody sitting on my bed no more. I didn't have to worry about nobody disrespecting me because in prison, it's, that's that respect is it. If that's the main thing. Yeah, oh, definitely. If you don't, if you're not respecting me, you have to pay the cost because if you don't pay the cost, then ultimately, I'm going to be subject to the ultimate disrespect. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so it, it just it, it just it's something that happened over time, mm -hmm. and um, I was at, I, they moved me to Elaine Hunt Correctional Center. Mm -hmm. Which is right here in St. Gabriel. Right. Um, best thing ever could have happened to me. I came across a man by the name of Dr. Henry Sanders Jr., who was the uh, educational coordinator. He immediately recognized that, you know, I was intelligent. You know, I was always intelligent. Maybe not smart, but I was intelligent. You know, smart people, I tell people, smart people don't get in the back of police cars. Simple. 
you say you're smart, don't get in the back of a police car. If you right. do, then you're not smart. You might be intelligent, but you're not smart. Right. And so he took me and um, he gave me all kind of opportunities educationally because I had something to offer. Mm-hmm. I was intelligent. Mm-hmm. And um, he he taught me a lot, and then he enrolled me in in, in um uh, in school to be a network specialist, an mm-hmm. IT specialist. Um, and I, I developed this love for computers mm-hmm. to be able to make them, to speak their language and make them do what I wanted them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, I think that there was, you know, because I was caught up in this thing of manipulation when I went to prison. It was all part of me initially getting arrested. Just That was part of my lifestyle, just manipulation. And I felt like being able to manipulate the machine to do what I wanted to do was a success. Mm-hmm. So even then, it was, I think there was still some selfishness in that. Um, but I learned a lot, and then the prison had a little leaflet newsletter, and they wanted to make it into a magazine. And I told the warden, I said, I can do that. You know, He said, well, how much is it going to cost? I said, well, we got to get a bunch of machinery. He said, well, what you need? I said, about $100,000. Said, do it. Said, really? Here, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me tell you what all I need. Yeah. Um, gave me an opportunity. I built a magazine. Um, it's called the Walk Talk, Louisiana's Progressive Prison Magazine. It's still standing. It's a beautiful job. The guys that that handle it now are way better than I could have ever been. Um, they are. They, they, it's 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 a real nice magazine. It's informative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we developed that. And then while we were there, um, we opened up a club. Um, cafe, if you will, for employees and prisoners to get what we call street food, the food that they don't serve in the kitchen. Okay. So um, people could spend their money there. On their lunch breaks, they could come eat. And the prisoners wanted to eat, they could eat every day if they wanted, they had the money. Mm -hmm. And so I was generating revenue for the prison and for the clubs inside of the prison. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it ultimately led to me spending more time in society than being in prison. Mm -hmm. While I was locked up, I'd spend, you know, I'd be here at headquarters. I'd be, you know, I'd travel to help get prisons um, to run in a similar fashion to Elaine Hunt Correctional I know, based upon my ministerial experience, that there's a whole lot of religion that goes on behind prison walls. There's worship all day, every every day. We talk about heaven being every day being Sunday and Sabbath have no end. That's what it's like in prison. Mm-hmm. There's worship all day, mm-hmm. every day. That's right. Multiple worship experiences right. that go on. Uh, <clears throat> when I was serving at Greater Mount Carmel Baptist Church, we went up there every uh, two months, uh, first Sunday of of, of, of the month we go up there we'd have a worship experience Shiloh has a prison ministry that goes to various places Angola Hunt uh, the police barracks the state police barracks various Mm -hmm. places what have you from the standpoint of the person behind the prison receiving all of this religion uh, 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 that people are doing as part of their missionary outreach as part of their endeavor to try to share the gospel in a sincere manner Mm -hmm. Tell me, and I see the way you look at me as I'm, as I'm formulating this question, tell me how you all received our coming into the prison. For those folks who uh, have an interest in you all coming to the prison, 
it's, it's a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. Now, for those folks that are, you know, playing church, as we say, or, um, you know, are not sincere, then, you know, it's a, what they can get out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Do you know why religion is so big in prison now? Because once upon a time, it wasn't. Do you know why? Help me. Um, but okay. Yeah. I, I was going to say that, but I didn't know whether you were going to say something yeah, else. Yeah, and you know, and I don't, you know, Burl Kane is Burl Kane and all the things he's been through, but when Burl Kane got to Angola, there was, you know, that was the bloodiest prison in America. Yes. I understand that it was, and that's true. You know, you see that newspaper, uh, bloody, blood. no, that's true. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not just good reading, it's true. Um, and him and the people around him, to some degree, realized that we need to do something to change this. And somebody, whether it was him or an assistant, or somebody said, we need to really push religion. And that's what they did. Now, mm-hmm. um, the other part of that is, you know, United States Supreme Court says if a man has a certain religion, then you have to make that religion available to him while he's incarcerated. Point mm-hmm. blank simple. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, you can't say, well, we're going to allow, you know, uh, Catholics to worship, but the Baptists can't, or the you know the Jehovah Witnesses can't, or, you know, so they don't lie. So, so the amount of services that you see is a result of they have to make them available. Mm-hmm. Um, religion is a big thing, and religion has helped. I watched it help. You know, I, I watched this. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you can get in prison. It's easy to get involved with the right thing for the wrong reason, mm-hmm. uh, but get something good out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, so. That, that, and that's kind of what what started that ball to rolling was because, you know, people saw where if I get involved with religion, um, maybe these people leave me alone. Or maybe I can get on a banquet list because, you know, the the the, the church organizations have banquets sometimes where they mm-hmm. come and feed the population. And so there, there's all kind of wrong reasons to get involved at one time. But now... It's, it's really evolved, and it's a big thing. Of course, they have the National Baptist Theological Seminary where these guys actually go to school. To right. Make. And I didn't participate in it, but I know plenty of people who have, and some of them are, are now free. Right. You know? Um, and so religion is religion is big uh, in prison because they they saw a need to do something about all the the blood. Let me ask you this. Did it have an impact on you? And do you think that it was a positive oh, impact, yeah. a neutral impact, a negative impact? What What was your experience with it? Um, when I went to prison, I developed um, a hardness towards my past. Okay. And I don't mind saying that in front of Terrence. I, I won't say his name because mm-hmm. I don't want to. But I developed a hardness towards him because he told my mother he wasn't coming to see me. Um, And that was... I knew enough to know that that's not right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I knew that, you know, as a man of God and a person who's teaching, you know... you. 
you shouldn't turn away from those folk who have done bad, mm -hmm. you know. I knew that. If I knew nothing else, I knew that in my mind. I'm like, that's not right. And, you know, and I kind of, you know, I kind of looked at mama like, you still going to this church? Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of how I felt. Yeah. Um, so I initially had a, a, a blind eye to religion when I went into prison. I'll tell you what happened. I, I, I got broke. I, it's ironic because we are 10 days away. On December 24th of 2005, mm -hmm. I broke. Okay. And I'll tell you, you know, I tell people, people talk to me, I talk to people all the time about their kids and their sons and their brothers, people that's having a rough time. And I say, well, you know, sometimes people have to, something has to happen to make him change, to make him want better, to break him. And I'll tell you what it was for me. Um, my mother and father came to see me. I did, and in December of 2005, I was housed in uh, extended lockdown at Hunt Correctional Center. And I was housed there because I had been a bad boy. Mm -hmm. Okay? And so that meant when you're housed in extended lockdown that when you have a visitor come to see you, um, you have to go to them in a jumpsuit and you're shackled on, on the legs and shackled on the hands. Period. Um, December 24, 2005, my stepdad and my mom came to see me. And I often refer to my stepdad as my dad just because I love him that much. Right. So if I say dad versus stepdad, it's talking about the same person. Understood. Um, they came to see me, and I got to the table, and it was just my dad there. And I said, well, daddy, where mama, you know? And he said, uh, he said she went to the restroom. I said, oh, okay. Um, I sat down, and I was talking to him. My mama walked up to the table a few minutes later, and she was crying, you know? And uh, I said, well, Mama, what's, 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 what's wrong, you know? And she said, oh, nothing, you know? And that's essentially, that, you know, you know, Mama, you lying. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, so, yeah. uh, Mama, what's wrong? And, and, and she said, uh, she said, I just want you to know that I, I just had to use the bathroom on stainless steel top, you know? And I didn't know it at the time, but when you're in extended lockdown, there's a small visiting area and so your visitors have to use the same bathroom that you use, which in prison, the bathrooms are stainless steel. There's no lid. There's no, you know, everything is stainless steel. Right. Um, and it broke me. And, it, and to some folk, it might that might seem small. But for me, it was like, I, I brought you in here with me. I've yeah. made you experience what I experienced. And I might be okay with sitting on a stainless steel toilet. But mama shouldn't have to do that. And it broke me. It broke me. And I and I turned to uh, Pastor, who I have not found, and I, I hope that in some way you are aware or uh, can kind of guide me in the direction of how I can find From Baton Rouge, his name is Oscar Richardson. Because um, he would come every Sunday. Mm -hmm. He would come every Sunday. And um, so that was a Sunday, that a Saturday that they came to see me. And that Sunday... He came and I, I, and I went to church, um, and he he just he captured my heart by the things that he was saying. And I don't remember what he was saying at that time, but me being broken and him delivering such a a, a message that affected me 
really just made me say, man, you you it, you know. So I hurried up and got out of extended lockdown so that I could go and participate in his services. Um, and and I, I, I really, so that was my turning point in 2005 as far as religion is concerned. Mm-hmm. I, I've always believed in God and, and, and I've always prayed and I've always um, uh, had the faith that in some way, you know, he was helping me. But, you know, sometimes when things happen, especially in an environment like that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's rough. Mm-hmm. It's rough, you know. So mm-hmm. that was my turning point. So your time incarcerated comes to an end and you're back out into the world or however you all would phrase that mm. how was the adjustment for me it was relatively easy for most folks it's not but keep in mind while i was incarcerated i spent a lot of time out here mm-hmm. um so it was it was okay it was okay for me, um, and I had a, I had a, a just a great support system, you know. That that's what made it even easier, you know. Because when I went to jail, I never changed a flat tire, you know. So I come, when I came home, you know, I'm like, okay, flat tire. My the, the way that I was living, flat tire. Call somebody to tell me to come visit, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know. Yeah. But then you realize that's fifty, sixty dollars. I just need to change the tire right. one way or the other, you know. And so. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I turned to um, I turned to my my brother and my my dad um, for the the stuff inside of the you know the 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 physical stuff that I hadn't learned. You know, um, I turned you know, and I would call them, and, and you know, I I could hear them thinking, "What is wrong with you?" You know, I remember calling my brother and saying. Um, how do I, you know, change the oil in my car, you know? Uh, and I could hear him silently saying, if that makes sense to you, like, dude, really? You know? But before I went to jail, I hadn't experienced any of that. Mm-hmm. So um, those things, were they, were they were foreign to me, you know? And I had questions um, about... Just how you how you live, how you do things that you know most people wouldn't ask, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 sometimes it was embarrassing, but after so long it became easy because I had to explain to him, listen, man, I ain't I don't know this I, stuff. I done this. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know this stuff. So you know, you can't give me a swing set and say put it together. That's not gonna work. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's not. Give me a computer. I tell him what to do. Exactly. But but if you give me this table and say Tim, I assemble this. I'm like, well, I'm to get somebody <laughs> over here, you know, because it was it was it was foreign to me. Yeah. Um. So, but but so in that regard, it was difficult. But as far as you know, what's what and what's here and what's there and how, for the most part, it was easy. And, Did and, you have difficulty getting employment? You hear all the time about people coming out of out of prison, and they have a hard time finding gainful employment. Well, what was your situation like? Well, my situation was initially when I got out of work release, I was in work release in Lake Charles, Louisiana. I was working three jobs while I was in work release because in work release, they take a whole lot of your money and they leave you with a little bit and expect you to be able to have money saved up so when you walk out the gate, not true. In fact, it's straight BS. Thievery. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, so I worked three jobs. I worked at Burger King. I worked at Outbacks. I worked at Burger King as just an employee at Outback Steakhouse as a server. And then I worked at a place called 
uh, Power Hydraulics, who sold uh, coil tubing units uh, to offshore companies. Multi-million dollar operation. Um, they got me for cheap. But I always had the ability to push and promote and market. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I started there, they started me sweeping around the shop, just kind of cleaning up behind the other guys. And eventually I worked my way up. So when I got out of work release, out of prison, so to speak, I still had that job. But this was in 2015 when the oil industry had just taken a big hit. And so he, the owner was like, Tim, at some point, I'm going to have to let you go. I know you're just getting home. I, I'm going to stretch you out as long as I can. But... All these other folks have been here way longer than you. So so I was like, okay, fine. So I left him and um, my best friend um, who who served 20 years right on alongside of me. Uh, he said, hey, man, why don't you... Uh, why don't you why don't you come back home, Baton Rouge? Because I was living in Lake Charles with a girl that I had met while I was locked up and manipulated her to, 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 to be with me, and, mm -hmm. you know, so to speak. And I said, man, I don't mind coming to Baton Rouge, but, I, you know, I got to be able to make some money. You know, the one thing I know is I got to have money, even because it, it takes money to survive, but not having money is what got me into this situation. Right. You know, and I'm not saying that I'm willing to go back, but I don't even want to put myself in a position where it, it, it's a it's a... Uh, uh, inkling of a thought, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't want. I don't want that for me. So I, I got to work, and I don't mind working, but I need to know that you know, she gonna pay me. And so, um, anyway, man. So I needed a job, and uh, Attorney Gail Ray hired me. She knew what I had done in prison. She knew, you know, um, that I had, you know, done some 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 good things, not just for me, but for the people that I was surrounded by. Uh, and she single handedly uh, brought me to Baton Rouge. Um, and when I say single-handedly, she made it very, very easy. You know, she didn't just say, hey, I'm going to give you a job. She said, hey, I'm going to give you a job. I'm going to put you in your own place. I'm going to make sure you have furniture. I'm going to make sure you got money in the account. That's what she did. That's, That's a, tremendous. Employers don't do that. That's right. the first thing, okay? Right. But we're talking about someone who, who has a love for people, you know, uh, especially people who are coming out of prison because of the, the wall that they have to climb, what they're up against. Right. Um, and, you know, she probably would hate that I'm, that, I, that I'm giving that kind of information out because she don't, you know, she's very humble. But, you know, just that alone was enough for me to say, excuse me, so you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and you, I'm on the way. <laughs> You know, and that's literally that's literally what happened. You know, because I had a job offer in Lake Charles before I, before before she made me that offer. I had a job offer for a furniture company in Lake Charles, and I met with the owner. I sent him my resume. He saw me, man. You you know all of this. You can do all of this. You gotta be lying. No, I ain't. You, ain't you coming out of prison? Ain't no way. I said, put me in front of the computer. I show. He put me in front of the computer for two hours. Mm -hmm. And when I was done, he was like, Wow. Okay, let's go have lunch. So we went to have lunch. He said, well, Look. I want you to come work for me. I'll pay you this. You know? I said, okay, well, you know, that's a that's a fair salary in my mind at the time. I said, that's a fair salary, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm looking at it as, well, I'm a convicted felon. So I got to, you know, I got I have to take a cut, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, well, what would my job, what would my job be? What's my what's my duties? What's, what you expect of me? He said, whatever I tell you to do. And I got up and walked away from the table. We were in the finest restaurant in Lake Charles. I can't remember the name of it, but it's right off the uh, 210. And um, I couldn't believe that he told me that. Mm -hmm. He told me that my 
My responsibilities would be whatever he told me to do. And I left him sitting at that table. Not because um, I have a problem with an open list of responsibilities, but I have a problem with you thinking that because I'm a convicted felon, you can pay me mediocre pay and expect me to do whatever you tell me to do. Mm-hmm. See, it's different from Fred Smith saying, Tim, I can't tell you everything you, I'm going to need you to do, but you know whatever I need you to do, I'm going to count on you. And this man saying, whatever I tell you to do, there's a difference. I understand. And I left him there. Mm-hmm. I, I, I never spoke with him again. So I came here and I worked for, I, she, she put me to work for a law firm, just doing clerical stuff, managing the office, getting things in, in, in order. Um, and it took off. It took off because she saw what I could do, you know. And and, um, and that's why I'm always thankful. You, you see in my bio, I mentioned Dr. Henry Sanders Jr. Um, white guy, 60s. Out of 3,000 people at Hunt Correctional Center, he chose me. I'm forever grateful for that because he didn't have to. And when I say he opened up those doors, he opened up those doors. Mm-hmm. And so when I got to Gail's office, it was like, hey, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. She was like, oh, slow down, slow down. You know, but I was eager to show because I felt like I need to prove to you what I can do so I can, you know, get the pay that I want and get mm-hmm. the credit that I want because I know what I can do. Mm-hmm. And But some of the things, I was moving too fast for, for mm-hmm. her because she she's thinking, well, no, not yet. Just hold off. Just calm down. Um, and she was right. She was right. You know, if you take your time and do things right, then in the end, you know, it'll, it'll all come together. Mm-hmm. And so I I, um, I started off doing clerical work and then I became her um pre-trial and trial investigator and, and coordinator kind of helped bring everything together before she went to criminal trials uh, and then I became her assistant for personal injury cases mm-hmm. um, so now I'm, I'm versed in criminal I'm versed in civil and uh, and I still have these slew of skills that I that I attained while I was in prison mm-hmm. um, some of which we talked about so um, it wasn't hard for me most folk don't have that opportunity. Most folk, you know, most folk coming out of prison, they don't get all those things that, that she said she would do for me. Mm-hmm. People don't lay that out. They, they just don't. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's they can't afford to, they don't, you know, or they don't trust you, they don't know if you're going right back, they don't, you know. Um, and this lady, I have become her, her legal and personal assistant. I mean, and, and I tell my, my fiance all the time, I love her to death, and she's like, um, well, let's go see a movie. I'm like, not tonight. This is Saturday night. She's like, you got to work tonight. I'm like, yeah, I got to work tonight. I work 24 hours, seven days a week. When Gail Ray say I need this, that's what it is. And and and, and it is not. I feel good doing that. Mm-hmm. I feel good when she calls me in the middle of the night and say, hey, I got a problem. Can you come help me with it? Yes, indeed, I can. Mm-hmm. Because I'm forever mindful of just how easy you made it for me. Mm-hmm. But like you said, a lot of people say, well, there's there's problems with getting employment. When you come out of prison, there is, mm-hmm. there is, and I bring it home. Two weeks ago, I was looking for a part-time night job, just because I'm going into the new year with some goals, mm-hmm. some things that I want to accomplish. And I said, well, I want to work four, five uh, hours a night for three, four nights a week, you know. And I and I went um, to Walmart, I went to Albertsons, I went to Kohl's, I went to uh, Home Goods. Um, 
couple other places. Because I knew, the first thing is, I knew that you're not going to hire me for my skill set. You're going to hire me to take truck boxes off a truck. I don't right. have a problem with that. Right. I, I can do anything, you know. Right. But I, I needed somewhere that was willing to hire me just because I, I wanted to supplement my income. So I wasn't looking for an office job at night. I was looking for something just to help me. Um, every one of them denied me. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm still, today, I'm still looking for a part-time job at night. Um, but every one of them denied me. No one said, we're denying you because of your conviction. Mind you, at this point, my conviction is 20 years old. Okay. Um, but that's what it is. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so, <sighs> employment, coming out of prison and, and, and as it relates to employment is, is twofold. One, the person who's coming out of prison has to have used that time to develop some type of skill. Mm-hmm. And two, the employer who sees the person coming out of prison seeking a job has to be willing to give him a job, to give him an opportunity. And I think we have more, I think we have problems with some folk coming out of prison that ain't, that haven't done the right thing while they was there. Right. Okay. And, and we have some, we have a bunch of problems over here with employers not willing to give people opportunities. And don't get me wrong, in Baton Rouge, they got people that's, that, that do hire convicted felons. Uh, Jerry Lane hires convicted felons. I'm just going to name a few places that I know. There, excuse me, there are a bunch of places in, in West Baton Rouge that, uh, that hires convicted felons. I know these restaurants do. Uh, the counts on aging. Mm-hmm. You know, those folks are doing a great job over there. Uh, uh, and they have they have high convicted felons. Mm-hmm. They, and they still are hiring convicted felons. Mm-hmm. You know, we need more people like the counts on aging and Jared Lane. And, you know, because if I come out of prison, let's say I'm 41 now, but let's say I'm 31. Because mm-hmm. the average person that goes to prison, I think is 22 with a fifth grade education, and he comes out of prison at, at 30 years old, and he has two kids. And the only place he can get hired is McDonald's. Why should we think that he's going to be okay? Because he's not. It, 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 it's, it's not going to happen. McDonald's is not going to pay him enough to provide for himself, let mm-hmm. alone his two two kids. Mm-hmm. And then we wonder why stuff like the, the you know ch- the the child support he's behind in child support right. or, or he don't have a house. Well, you know you got to give him an opportunity, but he has to have the skill set too. Right. And so if he don't have the skill set and you ain't willing to give him a job, he's stuck. And so now what you're looking at is this person coming around your house in the middle of the night because he's looking for a way to come up because mm-hmm. he he don't either he got the skill set and hadn't got the job or he don't have the skill set and can't get the job. Come January, February, laws have been changed that will allow for uh, convicted felons under certain circumstances to be given the opportunity to vote again. Mm-hmm. Are you happy about that? I'm or? elated about it. In fact, I went to uh, we went <clears throat> to uh, Orlando, Florida, about three months, four months ago, to to help push that there and 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 here. Um, you know, it's sad that Louisiana is so far behind, you know, um, I mean, we're one of two states in, 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 in the United States that previously would not allow convicted felons to vote. Mm-hmm. 
that is that you know that's a clear indication of how uh, antiquated uh, you know our our system is. Um, I'm on parole till May um, of this year coming, and and you know I can't wait to vote. I can't wait. Just just and it doesn't. You know I tell people all the time. It doesn't matter who you vote for. You have a right to decide who you want to vote for. But to that is that is a right. <laughs> you know, you need to exercise. Mm-hmm. So yes, I'm very happy about that. And and you know, it was it's people like I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Norris Henderson who was the president of uh Vote, uh Voices of the Experience out in New Orleans, Louisiana. And Tim and Chico Yancey worked together. They have an office here in Baton Rouge too, but it's people like the coalitions that they built to help get that done, but you know it shouldn't it shouldn't have taken so long. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't have taken so long. Even if we look at the packages that was that the government that the governor submitted for last legislative session, for to change some of the sentencing laws and and parole eligibility for people who are locked up. You know a lot of that was chopped down by the by the sheriffs association, district attorneys, so forth, so on. And so they put together this nice little pretty package that affected less people than it should have affected just to get something passed. But most laws that change regarding the crime, regarding uh, convicted felons only apply to those people who are nonviolent. Mm-hmm. Well, most of the people that are incarcerated are violent mm-hmm. or have been convicted of violent mm-hmm. offenses. Um, you know, so, you know, we, while Louisiana is doing better, we still got a way to go. Mm-hmm. To, to to really to really try to get this thing back on track. Mm-hmm. When you look at the political picture, and and I'm more concerned about local politics. Everybody is mm-hmm. up in arms with the president and and things that are going on in Washington. I don't know why you voted for him. You put him in office. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and 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 I think that you knew what you were doing when you put him in office. Mm-hmm. So why why you're shocked and appalled at this point mm-hmm. is a little bit beyond me. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm far more interested in in local politics, and I know that you have some experience working with state legislators mm-hmm. and working in local politics. How would you gauge the environment uh, with regard to the poor and the marginalized in in our community? From a political standpoint, from a political standpoint, it it, it has been and it still is um, an issue. You know, um, and, and and you know, forgive me if I if I seemingly tie your questions to incarceration, but in most cases they directly reflect you know incarceration. Sure. And, and the the poor, um, the 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 minorities, the poor are the people who are in prison. Mm-hmm. And they are there because they haven't, um, in a lot of cases, they haven't had the opportunities that they could have had in order to succeed in life. Um, Baton Rouge is, is bad. Yes, I've worked with state state representative C. Denise Marcel. Uh, I've served as her legislative assistant for over a year. And you know, of course, she's a, she's a, she's a, she's a trooper. She's a... She's a real go-getter. She don't care what you think. She's going to tell you what she thinks, and she's going to do everything she can to help uh, black folk, you know. And I don't mind saying that. I like that because sure. I believe that, you know, that we the people that in most cases need the most help, you sure. know. Um, 
but I think that the, the that that is a that is an issue that has plagued not just the, the city but the state um, for a very long time. And the only way that we can get out of that is to a give more opportunities to more folk, whether they're incarcerated or convicted felons or not, and understand that you know it, 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 that just because. Just because someone doesn't look like us doesn't mean that we can't sit at the table with them and try to try to work this thing out. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that I've seen, that I've come across, that are good people and have skills but haven't had the opportunities that you or he or the next person may have had. Um, and, you know, we, got, we really need to get away from that. Unfortunately, we've said we really need to get away from that for a very long time, and mm-hmm. it hasn't happened. Part of the problem, is, as I view it, is for the most part, blacks that are upwardly mobile work for somebody else. There's not a whole lot of entrepreneurship. We get a middle management job working for a firm or some industry. We make a good living. We get our families situated and what have you. But we do not have the ability to pull somebody else up with us because we are not the final decision makers. Mm -hmm. Uh, That lack of entrepreneurship, that lack of autonomy when it comes to who we help and how we help them and to what lengths we go to help them. What what you described uh, happened in your case. Not very many people have the ability to do what, what, what was done on your behalf. So if we're stuck in, stuck is the wrong word, if we're in a middle management job where we're earning $100,000, $125,000 a year, we're doing well. Our families are doing well, mm-hmm. but we can't translate that into helping somebody else uh, who needs help, who we may want to help, mm-hmm. but we just don't have the opportunity to do that. I... Uh it, it, it's it's ironic that we're having that conversation because I just talked to somebody a couple of days ago, and um, you know, we were talking about the workforce and how it affects people, and, and specific me, specifically me. Uh, and you know, they said, "Well, you know, I like to see you open your own business." You know? And I said, "Well, I, I would like to." to open my own but you have to have the capital to do that right you know and, and you know most poor folks don't have good credit right you know because they've been poor all their life so right. when they could get a little loan and we hadn't paid it back or we didn't pay it back when we could and 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 it's the, so you know um yeah i think it, it it would it's a good thing that we can if we can you know get more black owned businesses um or even more grants to you know, uh, people who want to open businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's easier said than done. Yeah. It's, it appears to me. Yeah. You know, uh, I haven't tried to open my own business yet. But. And I often want to get frustrated with conservative white folk who sit up uh, in, in their ivory towers uh, and, and with, with a tone of patriarchy look down and say, well, all you got to do is, and, and, and there's nothing that comes after all you got to do that makes any sense. Because unless you've been black or brown or poor, you don't know what it's like. Th- th- there's nothing else that you can say after all you got to do that makes any sense. That's right. That's and, right. And, and, and 
part of my dilemma as I reach the age that I am, I'm, I'm, I'm rapidly approaching 60, I'm tired of trying to explain it to folk. Mm. I, I, I get very frustrated with me trying to justify my anger, my frustration. Why are you so angry? How, deal with what we have had to deal with right. on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And, 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 and constantly be told, well, I wish I could. We'd love to have you, but we're not in a position to do this at this time. Come back and check with us in three months. We might be able to do something for you at that time. We check your credit score, and and, and and while you seem like a very nice guy, your credit score really needs some work. So if you spend some time uh, bringing your credit score up, then, then come back and maybe we can talk about that loan with you. We'd love to have you move into this neighborhood, but your, your, your score doesn't allow for us to <laughs> To, to, to sell you this house at this time. Now, if you're willing to pay uh, 20% down payment instead of a 5% down payment that we gave to the white folk who just bought the house down the street, then maybe oh, wow. we can help you. But I just found out that you don't actually have the income to, to pay the 20% down. So as soon as you can save a little bit more money, we'd be more than happy to have you. People get tired of constantly being turned yeah. away with a smile. Yeah, with a smile. With a smile. That's and, right. and, and when they have dismissed you, then they move on with the rest of their lives, and you are left in the same situation that you were in before. Tell you something real quick, Fred. Um, a month and a half ago, I decided. So when I came home, I got an apartment. It was a little cheap one bedroom. Um, and I lived there for three years, you know. It was, it was cheap rent, and I ha- I didn't have any problems, but the, pro- the neighborhood got progressively worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and my lady was like, all right, we need, to, we need to get out of here because, you know, you're on parole, and if you end up doing something to one of these dudes, and yada, yada. So we ended up trying to move, and I, I went to an apartment complex, um, and they were nice apartments. Um and I applied, but I hadn't really established, even in three years, I hadn't established a whole lot of credit. My, I got a cars in my dad's name. He co-signed for me. You know, I got a credit card, bank account, but nothing, no real credit. Mm-hmm. And for 17, almost 17 years, I didn't have none. So a uh, lady said, well, due to your credit, you know, your deposit, which would normally be this, um, you know, I, I, the only way I can get you in is if you double and I'm like, really? Yeah. yeah. All right. You know, but I, and, and so when you said that a few minutes ago, I was like, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Because I just went through it and I returned with the double. We, we were having a conversation face to face. And I said, okay, well, I'm just going to have to see and I'll get back with you. And I just came back with the money order. And, you know, and the look on her face, was, you know, was if I didn't think you'd be back. Right. You know, right. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's something. You know, but I don't. I don't know that it's going to stop. You know, because that's. I, I think generations have to die off for for that to happen. And you know, I, I would love to be here to see the, the the you know the outcome of that. But I I don't know that I will be. But you know, that's that's inbred in 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 the in the minds and the, and the ways of folk in Louisiana. <sighs> There needs to be a revival of entrepreneurship within our communities. I, for one, have no way of knowing how to cause that revival to happen. Uh, But I can certainly see where there's a need 
for it. Uh, uh, we used to own our own businesses mm. a generation ago, mm-hmm. a couple of generations ago. Especially we, around here. Yeah, we, we, we owned our own businesses. We made our own living. We made our own communities. Uh, we, we had our own lending sources. We didn't have to go uh, to other folk in order to borrow money. And a lot of it was done not just based upon an objective thing like a credit score, but I know who your mama is or I know who your granddaddy is. And, and, and if you don't pay me back, I'm, I'm going to talk to them. And, and they're going to make sure that you pay me That's back right. my money. <laughs> that kind of, of nostalgia, as some people would call it, needs to, to, to make a return uh, for us to move to the next level within our communities. Let, let, let me turn the page. We're getting close to, to, to the end of this. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, believe it or not, we, we've been here about an hour. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> but but, but I, you, you said, well, two things I want to get to. You made mention of something earlier on when I asked you about public defender versus a private attorney, and you said that we could revisit that. So let's revisit that right quick. Okay. What's your idea about public defenders? This is mis- Understand, my sister is an attorney. Okay. Uh, uh, she she criminal? worked on... Criminal. Okay. Uh, but she's a prosecutor. She, okay. she, she worked for the DA's office in Orleans Parish, worked for the DA's office in East Baton Rouge Parish. Currently, she works for the Attorney General. Okay. Uh, but... Uh, so, so I have this argument about lawyers all the time. Mm-hmm. But tell me your your... Your, your views on public defenders? I think that there's this misconception that public defenders, that you shouldn't have a public defender representing you. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike Mitchell is the head of the public defender's office here in East Baton Rouge Parish. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, if you don't know him, he's a real good person. And he employs these people to take on the caseloads of the parish. Mm-hmm. I, um, these folk have went to school. They have taken the the, the bar. Mm-hmm. They have passed the bar. Okay, and just because they work for the public defender's office doesn't mean that they are not equipped to get the job done. Right. People think that oh no, I don't want a public defender because a public defender is not gonna is not gonna do what I need them to do. Uh, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. The problem is that public defenders are overworked and underpaid. That's Their caseload is so heavy right. to where if I try to call Fred, who's my public defender, and he can't take my call or I don't get hear back from him for a week, then I feel like he's not working. Well, right. it doesn't necessarily mean he's not working. Right. It means that he got a lot of stuff to do. Right. You know, and, and, and so... Because people will call the office and say, well, you know, I'd like for Gail to represent my son because he got a public defender right now. And I, uh, uh, you know, and I say, okay, well, you know, representation for your son is going to be $10,000. And they're like, well, can I give you a thousand now? You know, can I give you a thousand? Then you want the kinfolk deal. Come on, brother. Come on, sister. But understand that the person who is representing your son is just as qualified as Gail is. Yes. You know, and this is what she will say. Yes. You know, know, because we are reflections of her as it relates to work. And, you know, she tell folks that just because, you know, he worked for the public defender office don't mean he can't get the job done. Right. Now, yeah, you might, you know, you... If you pay an attorney to to take care of something, you know they may move expeditiously because you know you are paying them their right. client, or they may or they may not. You know it just depends. But people think that having a public defender is, there's a there's a bad 
you know, that that's not the it's not a good thing. That's mm -hmm. not the case. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a public defender, that's what they're there. They're there to represent the people who cannot afford to hire a private attorney. Right. Bottom line. And, you know, ain't nothing wrong with giving them folk a try. Now, if you got a bad situation and you feel like you need, you know, a hot shot lawyer to come in and try to, you know, get a, a good plea deal or a good trial lawyer, then call Gail Ray. We'll take care of it. Not a problem. Right. You know. You're out of the the prison system. You said you're still on parole until May, mm -hmm. but for the most part, you're out of the the, the, the prison system. Yeah, I go in there. Uh, so you're not bombarded with religion all day, every day, as you once were. As a private citizen, what role, if any, does the church play in your life today? <sighs> A lot of the people that um, that walked with me through my through my journey mm -hmm. um, are still there, like his parents. You know, I saw them about a month and a half ago, two months ago. Um, still call them, still talk to them. They they helped me, and they're most most of those folks that I'm talking about. I grew up in the church with. Mm -hmm. um, today, the church is not as um, supreme in my life as it should be um mostly because i haven't found what i'm looking for and only i know what i'm looking for i know what i'm not looking for mm -hmm. um so i've been to a few places you know we've been to a few places um but the but the church is a is a for for me the church is a man of it, it's a it's a it's a place of refuge mm -hmm. When um, when it seems like you know all is lost, all is wrong. Mm -hmm. When it seems like things are not the way I want them to be. Um, when it seems like um, I can't get it right, or when it seems like you know tomorrow may not never may never come. Uh, it's a place for me, and I say the church. I don't mean the physical structure. Mm -hmm. It's a but it's a place for me to go to say you know um, thank you. And to say, you know, I, I, I need you. I'm mm -hmm. counting on you. Tell me where to go. Tell me what to do. Um, because believe it or not, you know, two things before we get off of this or close out or whatever. You know, my mama used to tell me every day. I, when I was in prison, I talked to my mama every day. Except for when I was mad and wouldn't call home. She mm -hmm. couldn't call me, of course. Mm -hmm. She used to tell me every day. I'm praying and asking God to let me see you walk out of prison. That was her prayer every day. And I never questioned it, you know. I always, I knew that when she said it, it was true. Mm -hmm. And um, now, I, I, when I when I pray, you know, I, 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 aside from thanking the Lord, I always ask Him uh, to let me be the person to help someone who needs to be helped. Mm -hmm. um, because for so long, I took away from the community, I took away from the people, and. Um, so I, that's that. Um, my my my. F physically, I'm not. You know, I don't travel to church every Sunday and mm -hmm. Tuesday for Bible study. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, um, but I certainly have a relationship with Christ, mm -hmm. and um, I certainly try to use my life as a as a, not just a testament, but also as a way, a vessel to to be helpful to people because. 
um, as his father told me, and I put this in my bio. He didn't catch it because he don't know anything about it, but his father wrote me a letter. It was in 2002, and he said, Tim, please pray for me, for no matter where we are, we're all in the same boat. That was the last line of a one-page letter typed many moons ago, and I live by that. You know, because, you know, whether you have your own business and you have a bunch of money, you have a big family and you seem to be successful or you're locked away in prison, we all need prayer. Mm-hmm. We all need one another at some point mm-hmm. and we all need to be there for one another mm-hmm. because if we're not, then all we're doing is making history repeat itself. If I were to ask you as someone who has come through the prison system, what could the church do better? What could we do that would be more effective, more impactful for those who are still incarcerated and for those who are now out of the system and trying to reestablish themselves in the world? How would you respond to that? Um, as far as those folk who are out here, I think that you know, one of the, the greatest things that you can do, the same thing you just said, you know, um, offer employment, offer resources. Um, I'm president of Reentry Core Solutions at Greater Baton Rouge under the, the leadership of uh, Trudy White. Uh, I'm the, the president. Um, but what we do is try to make sure transitions are smooth. Mm-hmm. It may not be as smooth as Gail Ray made mine, but mm-hmm. we want to try to help. Uh, so, that, so for people coming out, that's definitely a way for the church to help. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you need this, you need that. What do you need? You know, you need employment, and that's the biggest thing, employment. You know, so you can hire somebody and pay them something fat. You know, don't, you know, and, and and people's budgets are different, but you know, you catch a person walking out of jail, and you say, hey, I give you a job uh, sweeping around the church and mopping floors, and I pay you seven fifty an hour, eight thousand an hour. He's not gonna make it. He's, he's not going to make it, Fred. Mm-hmm. It's just point blank. He's going to have to do something else. Mm-hmm. And what that, and what, what is that something else? We don't know until he does it, right? right? We don't know if it's get another job or if it's go hustle. Right. You know? So, you know, employment at, at, a, at a fair rate so that he can make it is important. For the people in jail, keep delivering the word. Keep saving lives. You know, um... And that's it, because anything else is um, is honey for bees, you know. And, and there's nothing wrong with honey. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's a lot of that in there, you know. Um, so I, I wouldn't suggest the honey, but, you know, just keep keep doing what the Lord intended for you to do, and that's to go in there and to tell him about him mm-hmm. and, and tell him that he loved him and tell him that when, when, when things is bad and, sh- and things are rough and you think you ain't going home or you haven't seen your family in two years or you haven't got a letter and mail call or you haven't been to the commissary because ain't nobody sending your money, that at the end of the night, you know, at the end of the day, ain't nothing wrong with still saying thank you, Lord. That's, that's the best thing that you can do. All that other stuff, you know, it's pretty like this, you know, mm-hmm. but that's not that's not what those folks want because you know you should be surprised if you walk in a tier walk down a tier in prison where there's twenty beds on each side and there's a hall a little you know walkway in between those two. I'm sure you've seen them. You know, you'd be surprised late at night how many covers are overheads. You know, 
you can't see them. That's because they crying. Yeah. That's because they hurt. Yeah. That's because the realization of what I did is, 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 you know, I'm facing that music now. Yeah. You know, and I ain't got nobody but him because these folk around here mean me no good. So, you know, keep giving the word. Yes, that's sir. that's the best thing that you can do, and and and, and do it consistently, like Oscar Richardson, mm-hmm. consistently. Mm-hmm. Let them see you because coming once a month, uh, once every three four months, that don't that, that 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 means very little. But if I see you on a regular, then I know your heart is real because mm-hmm. that's what we do in prison. We okay, yeah, well he come every month. Okay, I ain't seen him in six seven months now. I mean, and that's what they looking for, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Because just like some of them are playing church, they were in prison. You know, they, see they think some of us playing church too. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I always ask this question of of, of every uh, guest that I have uh, because I love Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Born and raised here. Uh, spent a little time in New Orleans. Always called New Orleans Egypt, and the Lord let me come <laughs> back home to the Promised Land. Uh, <laughs> but I find that. Uh, some people don't have the same love for my city that I do. Uh, 41 years old. Mm-hmm. Would you like to spend the rest of your life in Baton Rouge? I would love to spend the rest of my life in Baton Rouge. And the only reason why, because if, you, if you'd asked me this while I was in prison, I'd say, no, indeed. Or before then, no, indeed. But I do now because I see the growth, you know. I see the, you know, Terrica Williams made it in spite of. Mm-hmm. In spite of what y'all tried to do the day before, mm-hmm. you know, um, I see the Denise Marcells, I see the Tasha Moore Clark's council agent, James Gill Moore council agent, I see the Gail Rays, the Ike Thomases, you know, the people who can who can help make this mm-hmm. thing turn, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and yeah, I would, I, I plan to, you know, I plan to be here, and and the only way that that I, I don't see myself leaving because to leave. To me, would be to turn it back, not just on my city, but on my family too, because my family's here. Um, but I got big plans as far as entrepreneurship is concerned uh, for Baton Rouge. So, no, I'll be here. I'll be here. That's good to hear. Without a doubt. You'd be amazed how many times I've asked that question, and and the answer was no. We're we're just passing through. We're yeah. we're going to settle someplace else. So it's good to hear yeah. that uh, you're thinking about making Baton Rouge your 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 home. Your base. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you sharing your story. I appreciate your honesty. And uh, I'm sure that you have been helpful to a lot of people. And I know you've been helpful to me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you as well as Terrence. And if in any way I can be of help to you and and the church, please let me know. I will. Thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next time.